In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Welcome, listeners, to this week's episode of Moving Forward. I am your host, Krista Nepper, and this week my guest is Jenny Barris. Jenny, how are you? Thank you for being here today. Hi, Kristen. I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. How are you? I am good. So typically, I introduce my guests, but I've been trying something new the last couple of weeks, and I would like for you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, hello, everybody. I'm Jenny, and I'm a writer. I am a creative writer, started off with a background in in playwriting, and then I'm working um, at TV Pilots in Los Angeles. But to support myself, about eight years ago, I started a copywriting business with $75 in my pocket, (laughs) and it ended up being a really successful business, and today I'm coaching other writers who want to make money while they're writing, or just anybody who wants to start a freelance business, how to have a successful freelance business and not... And to, you know, find high paying clients, worthy clients and not be knocked out of the game, you know, one month in because you don't know how to make money on your own. So what was your process with regard to that? I mean, $75 in your pocket. You're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. What was the mindset there? Um, my mindset was I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I like your honesty. In yeah. <laughs> in all honesty, this was probably, um, you know, we, we were talking about financial lessons. This is probably yeah. one of my largest financial lessons in my life, but it, it, it kind of, you know, when you mentally kick back against yourself where you're like, no, I'm not going to think that way anymore. Um, it was one of those moments where, you know, I always knew I was a creative. I always knew I was a writer, but it just didn't sit well with me anymore to be that writer that was like, I'm going to be the starving artist or I'm going to be the person who just has to budget, you know, down to the last dime until I, you know, sell a screenplay or get staffed on a TV writing, uh, a TV show writing. And, um, it just kind of hit me that I needed, well, first, anytime you're down to $75, it will hit you that you need a job. Yeah, And absolutely. I am allergic to real jobs. <laughs> like, I've never had a real job. I've never, I can't, I cannot do it. And I thought, you know what? I'm taking all options off the table. I'm not going to be that person that I think, that I think a lot of creatives can identify with, where it's like, oh, I have to sell this to become that. Yeah, and I'm yeah. going to make myself a businesswoman. I am going to make myself good with numbers. I am going to make myself a CEO of a little business, and I am going to grow it. And I turned it into a six-figure business. Wow. How long did that take? <laughs> um, it took a few years. It's not your first year out. I'll tell you that. Sure. Your first year out, you are looking at SpaghettiOs, but not really. Not, <laughs> not really. My first few months, and this is kind of what inspired me to do this, was my first few months is, well, really my first year was a little rocky because I had no, I had nobody to turn to. Nobody. I was had just going to ask you if you had any mentors. No, not on the, not on the freelance train. No. So I fell down every single rabbit hole um, that you can imagine, and that's why I'm coaching right now because it can go so much faster if you know what to avoid and how to interact with the freelance community. Wow, I so much of what you said the fact that you made a decision like, no, I'm not going to think like that anymore. And the way you mentioned you were tied to it needs to look this way. I need to sell this script and then it'll be easy from there. I think so many people, I know I can relate to that. And the idea of this is what success is. And we have a very tunnel vision view of that. So were there any tricks for you to kind of break out of that? Was there any, what was your, I guess, come to Jesus moment is the question I want to ask. 
of $75. It was that. Okay. We'll go back to that. <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're down to that, you clearly have to take some accountability and look at yourself and say, what I'm doing isn't working. And I can't look at anybody in the situation to save me. You know what? And you also have to ask yourself, you know, what am I waiting for? Why am I allowing this to be, why am I allowing this to be the pattern in my life? You know, a lot of times when we hold on so firmly to a thought process, it's usually rooted in some sort of fear. Yes. And, um, I think the fear for me was that I wasn't, I wasn't a business person that I had bought into. That's how you defined yourself. Right. Right. And so I was over it. I was just over it. (laughs) That's great. I think that that should, I hope it, I mean, it certainly resonates with me and I know that I have had, you know, these different mentalities in my life that, like I was saying earlier, we might see the path to success as being a very linear thing. And if I just do A, B and C, then this will work out for me. And we're really married to a vision things will happen to us rather than asking the question that you did, which is why am I allowing this to happen? Shifting that victim mentality into a realm where we can take responsibility for what happens in our own life. And I know for myself, when I have declared to the universe, I'm going to accept something different that will no longer be what happens in my life. It really has changed the game. It really does. You know, you change the way you look at something and all of a sudden you see different facets of a situation that you would not have, you would not have even imagined that we're sitting there the whole time. And, and I'll even say, I mean, it might sound a little dramatic, but I really think locking yourself into an A, then B, then C type of thought process, it's not just limiting, but I I think it's dangerous. I think it's absolutely dangerous. Because absolutely, it really just narrows your vision like a horse with blinders on is the image that comes to mind. And you don't see all of the possibilities. No, not at all. And they're there. The cool thing is, is that they're there. You just have to learn to look for them and to get creative too. Especially I tell my clients when you're freelancing, this is the wild, wild west. There are no suit and tie rules. There are no, you know, perfect. There is no perfect way to do, to do it. Um, you have to get creative with how you connect with people, how you find clients, how you build your reputation. And that's freeing. But at the same time, um, especially if you're coming from like a nine to five structure or you're coming from a, a, a limited, and I say limited with love because we've yes. all limited, you know, thought processes. And I think we hold on to them. I, I think we just have a revolving door of them and we just all work on them constantly, correct, but correct. it challenges that. So it can be that kind of freedom is liberating, but it's also so, so scary. And so that's one of the things I deal with, with a lot of my clients and that we work on and we work on that together is setting those goals and understanding that it's okay to be totally freaked out as long as you're moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And realizing that moving forward means you might have to take a several steps back in order to make the gains that you want to as well. Absolutely. And it does. It it happens. A few steps back sometimes. And, um, but it's so exciting. It's, I remember when I got my first client and it wasn't a high paying, it was not a high paying gig at all, but I was building my portfolio. I was trying to figure out, you know, how to set myself up. And this, it was not, it just wasn't anything glamorous. And you would have thought, you would have thought that I was commissioned to write a biography on Princess Di. Like I was (laughs) over the moon because it was on my terms, my turf. Um, freedom has always been the most important thing to me. It's always, you know, it didn't start off. I really just wanted to support myself. I wasn't like looking to like make bank on copywriting, but the number one thing for me was freedom. And so because this client represented that to me, I was just like, Oh, look what I've got going on. And it is 
so empowering to see my clients doing that for themselves because when they call me and they say they got a client or they got a bite, they call it, I actually don't usually call it bites, but a few of my clients call, it, um, call them bites when someone emails back or tweets to them or something like that. And they'll call me and they'll be like, Jenny, I got a bite. And I know that feeling. I know yeah. how good that feeling is. Well, I think, too, one of the things you mentioned was, you know, freedom is so important to you. And I think that the ability to know your own values, whether it – because we all have a different currency, right? And I am with you. Freedom to me, autonomy to me are the highest paying – things on my list. And so if I have those, the income comes in secondary where other people it might be reversed or it might be, you know, some other list of values. But I think knowing that equates to happiness. It does. When you have complete, and I say control also loosely. <laughs> yeah. Cause none of us have control over anything. Of anything. Exactly. But at least when you're when you're working on your own terms and putting what you feel is important first, I feel like I feel like it actually makes you a more disciplined person. It makes you a more responsible person. I also think that you're happier because you only you can tell only you know what exactly works for you. And as soon as you step out of the box and you have the ability to configure your life in a pattern that sets you up for success and really utilizes your strengths instead of, you know, having to fall back on on weaknesses, which when we're all in a cookie cutter type of structure, we all have to work in the same type of type of manner. It just opens up so many possibilities. It opens up creativity. And then from a financial standpoint, it opens up your income potential. I like that because I think that happiness does resonate with the universe. Maybe there are people out there listening that think this sounds really, really woo-woo. And I honestly did too when I first started hearing about the laws of attraction and shifting your perspective and writing about what you're grateful for and how that can really change your life. But I did it anyway, and I know that it really adds up to making a difference in my own life. I wouldn't be speaking to you right now if it didn't. So I want to talk to you about that next. And I know that you have a mantra, which is happiness first. So <laughs> tell us, and I love that. So where did you learn this? Where did it come from? Give us the background. Okay. So happiness first is, um, it really, I have to give credit to my mom and dad. I have awesome parents and my parents kind of, they just have their own agenda. They, they really just march to their own beats and they just could not care less what the people around them are doing. They just, they just could not. And so when we were growing up, my brother and I, you know, there was, it was starting to become popular where parents were having their kids in tons of different activities, you know, like you went mm. from guitar lesson to ballet to crafting. I don't, I actually don't even know. <laughs> it could be any of it. Yeah. <laughs> any and all. Any of it. My parents really, really were believers in free play. My mom saw a lot of value, developmental value in free play because her kids were imaginative and they wanted the time to for us to explore. And my, my parents just kind of instilled from the very beginning that you are not your job. You are not something, you are not the structure in which you think is going to make you happy. You are what's going to make you happy. So we were really told that if it didn't make us happy, then we didn't do it. That's, it's that simple. Like if it was something that made us unhappy or it didn't feel like it was a perfect fit for us, or if it wasn't the dream job, you know, my parents would always say, you have to go after your dream job or your dream, you know, lifestyle, because if it's not your dream, girl, it is not worth all the work you're going to put into it. And we really, I think from the time we were little, we had the time to imagine and play. And so my brother and I pictured ourselves in every kind of scenario you can think of. And through that, we discovered our passions and our talents. And my parents 
were really supportive and they got excited about it. And all they really wanted was they wanted to raise happy kids. And so they always, in their parenting style, put that first. What are we doing? Is it making our kids happy? And I'm really grateful um, for the fact that they raised us that way because I can honestly say that I don't work. I don't do things that make me unhappy because I feel like I have to out of, out of fear or desperation, or I've learned that you can set your own bar and work from there. I love everything you said. First, <laughs> I mean, you. and I want to unpack it a little bit, but first and foremost, how you had good parents that had the objective of raising happy children, because I think that you're right that a lot of times we get so caught up in what the Joneses are doing or how is this going to impact their, you know, SAT scores and where they're going to go to school and we're looking down the road rather than being present and realizing the point of all of this is just to be engaged and to be happy. And one of the things too that you mentioned that I thought was really profound and I was thinking about how I was raised, you know, speaking of SAT scores, you know, I didn't do great (laughs) on math. I didn't enjoy math. And so that was something that was pointed out to me as to something a weakness, something I needed to dive into and spend more time applying myself to. And that didn't help. I never got, you know, I never achieved some, you know, math goal that anybody, (laughs) I don't, you know, if there's such a thing that anybody set for me because it just wasn't where my soul was calling me. I was like you, very creative and much more verbal. And there were other things that I could do. And I know Deepak Chopra speaks about this uh, in one of his books, but that you are here for a purpose. And if you're good at something, that is an indication that you should be doing it. If you're drawn to it, you should be doing it rather than trying to, as a lot of the traditional education systems will teach us, excelling at something that we may not really have a calling for. I, I agree a hundred percent. And like you, I am terrible at math. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really bad. And I was very grateful for the fact that that was something that my my parents just, you know, they shrugged their shoulders. I'd come home and I would say, I didn't do so well on this. I tried, and my mom would say, No, you tried. You're not going to be a mathematician. Like you right. have other gifts. No, life that. is yeah. short. Life is short. So why would you want to learn a hundred different things when you could focus? on the hundred things that you like instead of mixing up things that you don't enjoy. So they just, you know, they just did not, and they didn't buy into the academic BS, which I really, really appreciated. They were, they always kept a sense of, is this making my child happy? Are they trying their best? Are they a good citizen? Yeah. yeah. Great. (laughs) Great. Then we, then it's fine. And you're, you're going to go on to do something with words, not numbers. In fact, they probably wouldn't have let me if I got delusional and said, I'm going to go into banking. My parents would have sat down and been like, that is not responsible for other people's money. (laughs) Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the the telltale sign is because it doesn't light you up inside. And I think it's excellent too, that they said, you know, you are not your job because that is number one question at any cocktail party. Some cities more than others is what do you do? Who do you work for? That type of thing. And to know that you are separate from that, there is a definition of Jenny that is not, you know, her day job or her title. I, it's just profound because it's just not what we bank on in America. No, we don't. And I actually, I, I love Tim Ferriss and I read his book, The Four Hour Work Week. Yeah. And I it's it's interesting when I meet an author, like, you know, through their writing or through their podcast or or whatever, that I really feel like I connect with on a a personal level or maybe like we have similar um things in our background. And he said in a in that book that he doesn't when people ask him what does he do, you know, he says, Oh, I 
I, you know, tango. I, I can't remember exactly what dance he yeah. does. I'm a tango dancer. I'm a, I'm a cross-country runner. I'm this, I'm that. I like to do this. And people, he said, are always flabbergasted by the fact that that's his response when everyone else is giving the, you know, traditional an investment party. banker. Yeah. yeah. A venture oh, capitalist. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Give me another drink. Like, <laughs> that's the conversation we're having. You might want to make it a double. Absolutely. We need to leave this party immediately. <laughs> yes. So, but on that note, so, you know, we don't define ourselves by our jobs. That's really a trap. But so how would you define yourself? If someone was asking you, who is Jenny, how would you describe you? I am a person, first and foremost, I feel like I am a person that gathers information from my past, applies it to my present, and dreams about the future, but really, really trying to stay in the moment. I think Mm -hmm. that I'm somebody that cheerleads for other people. I am a person that loves my friends, loves my family, um, will walk the line for humor, infuses it into everything. A passionate person that wants to collect as many experiences as I can on this earth and take the skills that I actually really own, the ones that can help other people and use that, use that to improve the environment around me. I love that answer. That's great. <laughs> but speaking of past, I know that, you know, there are always things that happen to us in childhood and beyond that shape us. So what is the hardest thing that's ever happened to you and how did you overcome it? The hardest thing that's ever happened to me is absolutely when I, I almost died from adult chicken pox when I was 18. Wow. <laughs> yes. And unlike other things that have happened to me that really involve another person or a family situation or a romantic relationship, this one was had nothing to do with anybody external. This one was all internal and dealt with perceptions of myself. And I can honestly say that this experience rocked my core. It, it really made me neurotic. Um, and I, I should add that the reason it made me neurotic is, first of all, I was so, so sick that I had, I looked like Job from the Bible. Wow. I had like lesions all over. My face was, my face was deformed. Um, I went to the hospital because I was breaking out internally on my um, respiratory tract. So I couldn't breathe. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really bad. But at the end of it, I was left with really, really bad scars. And I was a nut about the scars. The first time I got out of the hospital and I had, well, when I ate out, I think we went to Applebee's, you know, I'm from Ohio. We went to Applebee's. (laughs) From Indiana, that's where we go to. (laughs) Yes, thank you. You know, and at the time I wasn't, I'm a vegan now, but I wasn't at the time. So my mom dragged, my parents dragged me to Applebee's um, for a chicken fajita roll up. I will never forget this. And I did not want to go. And I sat down and the server came up to us and said, what do you want to drink? And I launched into, do you want to know why my face looks this way? Oh, God. Well, and I, you know, I sigh because I, you know, I was an 18 year old girl at one point as well and would spend two hours doing my makeup. So we, you know, we have this mentality is uh, we are only as successful as we are beautiful, I think, as women in this country a lot of times. Um, That really must have, I really don't even know what to say. That must have shaped you in a really dark way. It really did. You know, and I'm fortunate that I'm fortunate that my parents always um, talk, you know, they were like, you're so smart and you could be this and you could be that. And and they just they were not like they didn't want to just they did put bows on me. So I'm not gonna say they didn't put bows on me, but they did put bows on me and sit me in the corner and tell me to cross my legs and just look good. Like that was not their thing. They wanted me to be involved and and passionate and do the things I like, whether they were whether they happened to be maybe traditionally like a man's job or not. So I was really fortunate in that sense. But I also knew 
when you walk in somewhere and you look your best, it makes a difference. And we could sit here all day and pretend that it doesn't. It does. You walk into a place and you have gaping scars on your face. It changes the game. And it made me, it, it, it rocked me, but it also made me really, I mean, I've, I've always would have said I'm a very compassionate person, but it gave me a special kind of compassion for people that are born with, um, you know, just whether they have anything that's visibly quote abnormal to the general public. I have a lot of compassion in that, in that regard. Hey, Moving Forward listeners, if you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. Wow. So let me ask, so you said you had very supportive parents. You said, first of all, the fact that you almost died from chickenpox. I'm still kind of back in that space, to be honest with you, and that you had, you know, the lesions on your respiratory system. You know, I dealt with it when I was 10. I think it was in the fifth grade. (laughs) And so you don't think of it, but I have heard the older you get, the more deadly it can become. But I just never, when you said, when I asked the question, the hardest thing that ever happened, I did not think you were going to say a childhood disease. So that's just really kind of astounding. And I need to soak that in for a minute or two. But so how did you overcome that, especially the beauty aspect. And I think too, I'm thinking about my mother right now, and some of our listeners may know, my mother was a model and there is nothing harder than watching a beautiful woman age or a beautiful woman not become beautiful anymore. And you are obviously very beautiful. So how did you overcome this and how did you deal with it? Thank you. That's very sweet of you to say. If you could see me right now. (laughs) It's true. Um, I'm also the sweatpants, you know. (laughs) Dirty ponytail, please. <laughs> so, um, honestly, I really relied on my family during this period. I, I really, I usually, I wish I could sit here and tell you that I just, I just, you know, sat there in my room and, and came up with this amazing plan for myself and that I was just going to, you know, mentally push through it. But this really, really rocked me. And I just listened to my parents. I sat, I spent a lot of quiet nights sitting with my mom and dad and just letting them do the talking Mm. and just letting the people who love you the most heal you or attempt to heal you. And it does happen. In fact, when you're in a situation like that, as long as you have a a positive mindset, and I did because my mom would say, the scars won't be forever. We can fix those, but that's not, you're not going to be a supermodel. Like you're not going to pose for Victoria's Secret. And if you are, that's something we should have talked about. (laughs) So, you know, like you are going to be a writer. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. This is no bearing on that. But I understand as a woman, I understand how you feel. And we're going to take care of it in any way that we can. And so you just sit there and you let the people that love you and want you healed do their job. And it made it made a huge difference. Um, I just I think what I want to say the most is that I cannot stress enough how horrible I looked. Um, when I was in the hospital, chicken pox, you have a, uh, traditionally like with kids, like the the age you were, when you had it, you break out for one week, you scab over and heal for the second week. It's kind of like, bam, done. You know, it's not, you know, I'm trying to uh, remember. I don't, but that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take, it doesn't take forever. Well, I was breaking out for almost two and a half to three weeks by the time I went to the hospital, I wasn't, it wasn't stopping. It was on top, the the pox were on top of each other. And so when I got to the hospital, they put legit, they put a biohazard sign on my door. So I was sleeping my first night there and I woke up 
and because I felt the presence of someone else. And I looked up and there was this doctor. I don't remember his name, but he was like, you know, hi, I'm Dr. Murphy. I'm I'm from cardiology in the other building. And I just heard that there was a really bad chicken pox um, case. And I just wanted to come by and see. Oh, my God. And I was now like, you're a science experiment. I'm a freak. Yeah. Like, I yeah. am a freak in this situation. And I had a graduation party, you know, three oh, weeks God. later, two weeks later. No, probably less than two weeks. Two weeks later that I went to. And I was, I was really, really scabbed. I mean, I just looked like one big scab. So all I could think of was, I'm a freak. I have this party. I am going to walk around like this forever. I, you know, and one of the things that strikes me too, if I get a mosquito bite, I freak out. And I remember being so <laughs> itchy know. when I had chicken pox. And so the physical pain that you must have been in, let alone the fact that you almost died and how it impacted how you looked. I mean, wow, to endure that for three weeks. That's was, astounding. It was bad because, you know, and then it was the, another week of recovery. Then I went to my graduation party and I didn't itch so much because they were so severe and my fever was so bad. It was more like a burning. They, they burned. Oh, God, that's not yeah. better though. <laughs> I know. Hopefully nobody's eating while they're listening. To no, no, no. <laughs> I'm trying to be, you know, I'm trying no. to just gloss it over a little bit. Um, yeah, so it was it was really bad. But the funny thing is, is when you ask me about my chicken pox, I remember the emotional pain more than I remember the physical pain. That's always the way, isn't it? Yeah, and it really is. It really is. So um, it was it was not a fun ride. <laughs> no, but you know what I liked what you said earlier about your parents and how each night they nurtured you and they loved you because that was their primary job. One of the things that strikes me about that that we often have a hard time with is allowing ourselves to receive that kind of love. You know, a lot of times, maybe not as children so much, but we kind of block that out and we're like, oh, they're just glossing over something or, oh, you're just here because you have to be. This is your job. But just I, it strikes me the part of your healing process was to really let that in and how we don't do that very often. No, we, we really don't. And one thing I'm very grateful, another thing I'm grateful to my parents for is that my parents have a really wicked, dark sense of humor. So they don't sugarcoat things. You know, mm, yeah. I, I heard my mom tell my dad at night, you know, my, it was hard for my mom to look at me because it was just so painful. Yeah. The sort, And so she would say, this is, is hard for me to look at you. Or I heard her talking to my dad saying, we are going to get that girl as much plastic surgery as she needs. And I knew it was out of love, but I knew she wasn't she wasn't telling me I looked fine. And she wasn't telling right. me that there wasn't going to be work to do after if I wanted to restore my skin, which I did. I did want to. Um, so there was no, there was dark humor. There was no glossing over stuff. And that's why I think I was able to accept the healing portion of it because I knew it was completely authentic and nobody was whispering behind my back. Nobody was trying to make me think this wasn't as bad as it was. Because you knew. I mean, that's the thing. Whenever anyone tries to say, oh, it's fine. Everything's going to be okay. We are able to call that out. All of us. Uh, totally. I was covered in scales. Like yeah. if they would have tried that, I would have not been able to receive the the healing portion of their, you know, of that time. Wow. That's it's huge. I'm, I'm still taking that in because it's just, I don't think of chicken pox in those terms as so deadly and so transformative. It was so bad. I always tell people I didn't have chicken pox. I had leprosy. <laughs> like that. I, like really I mean, and that like. impacts me because that, it sounds like that's what that was. It was that big and I'm gesturing right now, but like it was that big. It really, I can feel your judgment. Yeah. <laughs> it was that big. And then, you know, I finally started healing 
And it took me, I would honestly say that I didn't feel 100% like myself for about a year. Okay. And then I started to heal and the scab started to fall off and I had these holes on my face. And so I went to my mom and I said, hey, why, is, why do you think these aren't healing? And she said, I don't know. So we went to the dermatologist and the dermatologist was very just matter of fact. And she just looked at me and she said, oh, those are healed. And I said, Excuse what do you me? mean? Yeah. yeah. Like what? They're healed. And my mom said, no, no, no. There's that. That's not, there's, there are holes on her face. Like there, she is not healed. And she said, well, that's the way the skin on the face heals, especially if you have really soft skin on the face, they'll, they will, it'll, the chicken pox like cut deep into it. And I mean, I had a scar on my left cheek that when I washed my face, it held water. It was a canteen. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, no, this cannot happen. So that's when we started talking about my options, like really ser- seriously talking about my options for surgery and, and smoothing out the surface of my skin. But I freaked out. And then I had scars other places on my body and they, they scarred differently. So they were bumpy. So they had to be um, injected with steroids. Wow. Yeah. It's okay. disgusting. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's just good to know. It gives context because to say, oh, chicken pox. I'm like, oh, like we can bond about this. I had it when it was 10. I missed a week of school. Like it is <laughs> so much more than that. This was a disease that almost killed you and then had ramifications for years to come. Totally. Wow. So, um, well, having lived through that, um, what are you doing now that scares you, but you're doing it anyway? Wow. That is a really good question. I... Okay. I am a recovering control freak. <laughs> so <laughs> I like, like to testify. Be- <laughs> yes. Okay. So, <laughs> I, I, what I am doing that really scares me is I'm embracing opportunity by not trying to control every situation all the time. How do you do that? <laughs> I, I honestly, when I have it all figured out, I will let right. you know. But <laughs> um, what I'm, what I'm doing is that I'm not allowing myself too much time to think about things. So before I was the type of person that mulled things over constantly, like I had to put everything on the scale, weigh the pros, weigh the cons, you know, am I doing this right? And I'm really actually not a perfectionist. If you see my apartment right now, you would be like, oh, cool. She's not a perfectionist, but I'm not, but I am a control freak and I like certain things in order in a certain way. And I think when you come from, my mom's awesome, but she's also, she was a worrier, you know, like I drove, Um, I rode my bike to the end of the driveway and back because I had it was a busy street and I was clearly going to get kidnapped past the, past the lamppost was kidnap land. Um, so I'm laughing because I, I think I had the same mother. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. So when you are raised to like that, to like really look at every single thing as a possible threat, you weigh things out. And, right. um, so I'm trying very hard to let go and realize that when you let go, things start to evolve the way they're supposed to. Because when you hold on to them so tightly, they might still evolve, but it's like squishing a balloon. It's not going to have the shape that it might have been if you just let go and let the thing inflate. I love it. That's a great analogy. So that sounds like a spiritual practice. So that leads me to the next question. So what are your spiritual practices? What do you do now to, in that instance, give you that sense of balance and and allow yourself to be guided to the opportunities that are right for you in the current situation? Well, I'm not perfect at it, not by any means. And I know that um, some people, so I wouldn't want to take away from people that are really, you know, religious about their practice. Um, but I am a firm believer in meditation I love yoga when I get, I'm, but I'm bad at yoga, but I still love it. But I'm the person like in the back 
who's with the guys who can't touch their toes. <laughs> <laughs> Keep doing it. You, I used to not be able to touch my toes and now I can. So you, Okay, awesome. Um, I do also it. love, I love um, crystal meditation. So in LA, we had, um, we have a thing called crystal meditation and you go into this crystal shop and they've since moved from the crystal shop, but the crystal shop owners still provide little crystals and they each have like a different um, you know, healing power or energy. And then you work on a specific meditation with the guide during that. So that, you know, and I really like guided meditation because my brain does not turn off. Right. Even when you turn it off, it just springs back on. It's kind of possessed. Yep, <laughs> like, no, mine too. I call it the neighborhood because everybody's that. chatting. <laughs> I love that. Okay. You have a nicer name. Mine's like the poltergeist. So, <laughs> so I love that. But I honestly think the one thing that I do every day, which be, which is beyond like meditation or, or, or trying to get to yoga. Um, and I do live in LA, so I have to be cut some slack about not getting to yoga when traffic's bad. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It's that I really fall back on the power of positive thinking. I really do. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds so cliche, but if I catch myself thinking something or that's not positive or trying to maybe read more in a situation that's not there, I let it go. And I've and I've really worked hard on monitoring my thoughts. And if I catch a thought that is not helpful to me or the people I love, you know, especially people, you know, I, I have a few acquaintances and stuff and they'll say, Oh, you know, so-and-so said this to me or so-and-so said that to me. And I think it was a slam or I think it was a dig. And I would say, do you think this person loves you? And they'd say, well, totally. I was like, so it probably wasn't a slam. So I've also trained myself to, to not look at the situation, but look at the person that it's coming, the situation is coming from, and just realize we all say dumb things, or we all, you know, sometimes portray that we might be feeling one way, but we're not actually, and just let it go. So I've really worked on every thought, not passing judgment, not letting it go to a negative place, and not assuming other people are saying something that they're not actually saying. I love that. And that's such a, it's one of those simple, not easy things, you know, asking that question, does this person love me? Because it's so easy if someone doesn't call us back for two days that we are very attached to and we really need to speak to them to assume, well, they're mad and I must have done something and go down that, as you said, rabbit hole. But that's totally. a really simple question. And what you said earlier about the fact that we don't have control. So just give it up because what are you, <laughs> going, you know, what are you going to do to make that person come back around? and call you, you know, you just have to kind of let go and let God at times. You really do. You really do. And and to look at someone's intention and look at the situation's intention over what the, what the language is. You know, I feel like a lot of us get really caught up in the semantics and a lot of times what hurts our feelings are the words that are being said or not said. And if you could let go of the language and just look at the intention of the person you're dealing with, I feel like a lot of people would spend a lot less time offended. And I think the language would then come. Yes. I think absolutely. that's the ironic part of that too. Yes. That's a very good observation. You're totally right. The language yeah. more than usually comes from that. Yeah. Once you focus on the intention. Wow. I love that. So last question. So one of my favorite quotes is be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. So final question. What is your battle today? My battle today is... I believe so heavily in staying in the present, but it is the hardest thing for me. It's the hardest thing for me not to constantly look past the present and into the future. And I don't want to miss the best years of my life doing that. So I feel like the hardest thing for me now is to take everything as it comes, to relax into it, to let things unfold, to let that balloon, like I said, inflate the way it's meant to inflate and not have my handprints, you know, twisted all around it. And 
to really stop stressing. I am, I work very hard on my anxiety. I am an anxious wreck a lot of the time. And so it takes, I have to bring it down a notch and say today, how is it? I'm going to be okay today. And I have to say that to myself a lot. And I also love the quote and I think it's roomy. It's whatever is for you will not pass you. And I Mm, think that, I think that constantly, that is the one mantra that keeps me from, you know, that gently talks me down the ledge. I like that a lot. Very cool. So if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you to learn more about your coaching system and more about what it is that you do, how would they do so? Well, I would love for them to visit my brand new website. I'm Yay! so excited. It's the first time I've had a website. I've been in business, you know, for the, you know, almost a decade and I've never had a website. So I'm really excited. It is my first and last name, Jenny Barris, www.jennybarris.com. So you can learn all about my coaching and a little bit about a little bit more about me and what I do and what you can expect if you decide to ever work with me and you want to like get into the freelance game. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, yeah. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. Um, or you could send me an email. It's jennybarris1 at gmail.com. Very good. And we will have this on the Vu Avant website. And are you available on social media as well? I am. Yes. You could find me, Jenny Barris, uh, at Jenny Barris on Twitter. Very good. Right. And Jenny Barris on Instagram. I have to be honest. I'm on Instagram more than I'm on anything else. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. Okay. Well, we will put those on the website as well. Jenny, thank you so much for being here today. It was really a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. I love having conversations with you. You are the best. I love your observations. It was just a pleasure to sit down and chat. Thank you. Until next time, I'm Kristen Epper. Thank you and Satnam. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.